Good, that's everything. Let's pray and ask God to meet us in the scriptures. Father, I ask that you'd help me right now to preach with the kind of heart you'd want me to have and help me to be accurate and in accord with your word. I pray, Lord, for each, each of us, you'd give us hearts that are hungry to hear what you have to say in the scriptures. And there's just so many needs to hear this morning, Lord, and you can take Isaiah chapter 51 and apply it to each one of us here. So we each leave having met you, living Jesus, in the pages of your word. So would you do that? Would you help me? Would you come and work with power, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. When your Christian life starts, the, the, the moment that you uh, put your trust in Jesus Christ, receive him as your Savior and your Lord and your heart-satisfying treasure, at that very moment, powerful things happen. Scripture lists a number of them. You receive the Holy Spirit, by which for the first time you feel the glory of Jesus Christ. And you receive forgiveness for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And so you feel the, the guilt of sin lift off and the love of God be poured on. Remember that? And you experience peace because you know now God is your Father. And He is now responsible for all of your needs. And you're filled with joy because for the first time you've tasted the highest joy in the universe, knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. So the moment you trust Jesus Christ, the moment you begin your Christian life, powerful things happen. But, as you start to live your Christian life, you will find times when you long for powerful things to happen that aren't happening. Right? There's times where you know what God has promised to do in his word, and you're praying and you're trusting him, and you're not seeing them happen. Yet. That word yet is really important, but you're not seeing them happen yet. And this can be very discouraging. Some of you are probably there right now. Like, for example, God promises that if we seek him with all our hearts, we will find him, right? And yet, how many of you have had times where you have sought persistently and sought, and you're not finding him in the way that you're longing for? Have you ever had that happen to you? It's happened to me numerous times, and you will if it hasn't happened to you yet. God promises that if you fight the fight of faith with the word, depending on the power of the spirit, you will gain ground over sin areas in your life. It's a promise in his word. But how many of you have fought and prayed and labored and you're not seeing the ground gain that you're longing for yet? I think that would probably be all of us. God promises to use our prayer and our love and our words, our witness to see people come to know Jesus Christ. He's promised that. And yet there's times where we pray and we love and we witness and we're not seeing people touched with the gospel like we long for yet. Right? As every follower of Jesus, we will all have times where we long to see God work with power and we're not yet seeing him working in the ways we're longing for. We know what he's promised. We see his promises in the word. We're praying for his promises. We're not seeing them fulfilled yet. And that can be very, very difficult. A few years ago, I met a pastor um, in Acts 29. Wonderful guy. Beautiful, godly wife, kids, planting a church, things are going really well, but all of a sudden, his wife was just like attacked with intense anxiety. 
I mean, intense anxiety. If you've never experienced this, I haven't either, but just all of a sudden it just came upon her and overwhelmed her and it completely overpowered her. And it became so frequent and so intense and moved into her at such a place of unreality. He just didn't know what he was going to do to protect her, to protect the kids. He prayed, sought counsel, thought, finally just knew what he had to do is he, he needed to put her into a, a, a psychiatric hospital. And so he asked his assistant pastor to help him. They drove her there. She was weeping on the way, saying, why are you taking me from the house? Why are you taking me from my kids? Where are we going? To take her into the hospital, get her settled there. And Jen remembered, as he told the story, when he walked out the front door with his assistant pastor, he just broke down, just broke down, weeping, sobbing. So here's a, here's a man, knows what God's promise, knows God's love, trusting the Lord, and yet he's not seeing God working in the way that he longs for. He's not seeing God answer his promises yet. And it's at times like that that we can get discouraged, can't we? And disillusioned. And we can get very vulnerable spiritually. Some of you are in that place right now. There's things that you're praying about, things that you're longing for, things you're trusting the Lord for. It's been a while. And you're getting disillusioned. You're getting discouraged. Is God's word true? I'm praying that God will speak to you this morning through Isaiah chapter 51. Because this chapter was written for times when we are in that place. Let's go ahead and turn there. Isaiah chapter 51. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We, we'd like you all to have a copy of the Bible so you can open up, follow along in this passage with us, and we will dig in. Now, I want to be clear, God is absolutely faithful to all of his promises. Every promise he has made in God's word, he will fulfill. There's no question about it. Not always in our timing, though, right? Not always in our timing. And that's when things can be difficult, is when we are longing for God to work and we're not seeing him working in our timing. So, here's Isaiah 51. Now, Three weeks ago, last time I preached here, we worked on Isaiah chapter 50. And in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10, in fact, let's go ahead and read that verse. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10, we'll see who chapter 50 was written to. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servants? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light... Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. So Isaiah 50 was written to those in Israel who are fearing the Lord, obeying God, and they're walking in darkness. Now we usually might think that walking in darkness means that somebody's walking in sin. It's not what that means here. Because notice, they're fearing the Lord and obeying the voice of his servant. Here, walking in darkness refers to those times when you know what God has promised to do, but you're still in the darkness of not seeing those promises fulfilled yet. You know what he's promised to do, but the light of his fulfillment hasn't come yet. And so you're, you're walking in darkness. You're trusting him. You're walking by faith, not by sight. You're not seeing the promises fulfilled yet. You're fighting to believe that he is going to do what he's promised. He's going to be faithful to his promises. But in the meantime, you're walking in darkness. That's where Israel was at. And Isaiah chapter 50 was written to help Israel deal with that time in her life. Now, 51, as I studied this last week, it continues the same theme. And so we're going to be digging into that again. So I've called this morning 
Three weeks ago was encouragement for those walking in darkness. This morning is more encouragement for those walking in darkness. But now here, here's, where Israel, here's why Israel was walking in darkness. Isaiah chapters 40 through 66 are written to be read especially by Israel during the time when she is in exile in Babylon. So imagine that you were an Israelite, slave in Babylon, terrible conditions, horrifying conditions. And yet you know God has promised that he's going to take you back to the promised land. You also know God has promised even bigger than that, that through you he's going to bring his salvation to the ends of the earth. Every nation is going to be touched with God's blessing through the nation of Israel. So you know you're going to be going back. God's going to touch the whole world through his salvation, which will come through Israel. And yet there you sit, slaves in Babylon. You are trusting the Lord, but you're walking in darkness because you haven't seen the promises fulfilled yet. And Isaiah 50 and 51 especially are written to help Israel deal with her life at that time. And so I'm praying that God's going to use these verses here in chapter 51 to help those of you who are walking in darkness right now. You're discouraged, maybe. You are disillusioned. You're spiritually vulnerable. This is a difficult time. And I'm praying that God will bring more encouragement through chapter 51. So as I studied this chapter, I saw five encouragements that God gives to us. And the first one is right here in verses 1 through 3. Remember that God brings about dramatic reversals. Now here's why I say this. When, when your circumstances aren't going very well, when things have been difficult for a while, you can start to think that nothing's ever going to change. Right? I mean, just a little, kind of a dumb example, but this last week, I was, for me, pretty sick. I, I think it may be because I got a, a tetanus diphtheria whooping cough inoculation last Friday. Anyway, I've got a sneaky feeling that it has something to do with it, but I was like, I was sick this week. I mean, again, not that sick, but sick for me. And, uh, and you know how, it, even something that was that short and that was that, that minor, I started to feel like, am I ever going to feel any better, right? Now, some of you have been suffering with things for a whole lot longer than that, but can't you, in those circumstances, start to think, nothing's ever going to change, right? Just going to keep on going the way it's been going. And that's what Israel was tempted to think, but look at what God says, and start with verses 1 and 2. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. That is, look back, Israel, to your early history. Verse 2. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. The story of Abraham and Sarah is a story of a dramatic reversal. Because God had promised Abraham, not only are you going to have a biological child with Sarah, but your lineage is going to be so numerous that it's going to be like the sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky, right? God had spoken that promise to Abraham. Years went by. Sarah wasn't pregnant. Decades went by. Sarah wasn't pregnant. Can you imagine how Abraham might have struggled about that? Okay, year after year, decade after decade, Paul tells us in Romans 4 that at this time, Abraham's body is as near as dead and Sarah's well past childbearing years. And then all of a sudden, God brings about a dramatic reversal, changes everything. She's pregnant. And they give birth to Isaac and Isaac gives birth to Jacob 
and Jacob to 12 sons, the people of Israel, who have multiplied to become millions, just like God promised he would do. And then God applies this to Israel in verse 3. Here's the dramatic, just like I made a dramatic reversal with Abraham and Sarah, here's the dramatic reversal I'm going to bring to you, Israel. For the Lord comforts Zion. Now, Zion's just another word for Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem, okay? The Lord comforts Zion. He comforts, I should have said, remember, at the time that Israel's reading this, what's happened to Zion? What's happened to Jerusalem? Decimated destroyed, burned over, a place of tears and sorrow and heartbreak. Okay, with that context, here's the dramatic reversal. Verse 3, the Lord comforts Zion, that is Jerusalem. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving, and the voice of song. I'm going to bring about a dramatic reversal in Zion, Jerusalem, Israel. So though you're walking in darkness now, understand, I change things. No matter how long you've been there in Babylon, no matter how long Jerusalem's been smoldering from destruction, I bring about dramatic reversals. So I just want to encourage you, if you have wondered, is anything going to change? Is anything ever going to change? Think about Abraham and Sarah. Yes, God brings about dramatic reversals. Think about Jerusalem. Did God have the people of Israel go back and did, did Jerusalem get rebuilt? Yes. So God brings about dramatic reversals. Don't assume that because things have gone on the same, that they're going to keep going on the same. God can break in in a heartbeat and change everything. That's the first truth. Second truth. Understand that God's promises will surely be fulfilled. Let me just throw it out there. It's really important that your understanding of God's promises be from reading his promises in the scriptures. I find a lot of people have ideas of what they think God has promised that aren't really what he's promised in the word. So it's make sure that you're, you're focusing on what he actually has promised in the word. This book is like a treasure chest full of what God has promised to be to us in Christ Jesus. There's hundreds of promises that he's given to us. But make sure that your expectation of what God's promised fits what he's actually promised in the word, right? For example, has he promised to heal everybody in this life? No, he hasn't. Will he heal every sickness? Yes, either in this life or in the life to come, right? Everyone, we pray for it in this life. We're rejoicing over Jose, okay, and that MRI result. That's awesome. We will keep praying for that. God does that today, beautifully, but not always. And we trust him for those times as well. So with that caveat, understand that God's promises will surely be fulfilled. That's the point of verses 4 through 8. Look at verse 4. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. So at this time, Israel is being oppressed by the peoples. But here God says, my law, my instruction is going to go out, my justice will go out, I will stop your being persecuted by the peoples. The people are going to be transformed and changed by my justice. 
verses 7 and 8. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. Israel's being reproached. Israel's being reviled. Slaves in Babylon. But that does not mean God's forgotten his promises. Not at all. God's righteous promise of salvation will surely be fulfilled. It's like an hourglass. When you think about God's promises, the time will come when the promise will be fulfilled, okay? The, the sand is going down through it. His promises will be fulfilled. Just, just trust. Don't be discouraged. Don't, don't fall into unbelief. I was talking to uh, Brad Keller, who, who is the West Hills church plant downtown. And he told me, I just love this story. When, when they were first getting started down there, um, there was one couple who just really were like, they were very, very small. And this one couple, not the, the couple wasn't small, the church was small. Um, and there's this one couple that was really pivotal in the church, just vital. Friends, support, powerful, effective in the ministry. But one Sunday, when he got there, he found out that this couple had to, had to move for job reasons. Devastated him. Oh, and he just told me that, that whole week, he was just like, oh, God, are you, are you going to fulfill your promises? Are you going to do this? Is this going to happen? And he just felt like, you know, nothing's just, he was just, woe be gone. And he said the next Sunday, at the end of their, their gathering, three couples, new visiting couples, walked up to him and said, God's called us to join you here. How can we help? I love that story, though. It's so encouraging. But see, God's promises is like an hourglass. Brad went for a week watching the, the, the sand go down. You maybe have gone for decades on something watching the sand go down. It will go down. He will fulfill his promise. The question isn't, will, will he fulfill his promise? The question is, will we trust him? Now, just another side note. What, what do you do when you're weak in faith and you're having a hard time trusting him? Does he say, well, you know, come to me when you're stronger? You're too weak in faith. Come back when you're stronger. Go get strong. Come back. That's not what we do. What do we do when we're weak in faith? We, we come to him with our weakness in faith and we pray. I think it's Mark chapter 9, isn't it? I believe, help my unbelief. Right? So does weak, is weakness of faith the reason for you to stay away from God until you get your faith stronger? No, it's not. You come to him as you are. Say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And he will meet you. But this is the second encouragement for those walking in darkness. God's promises, <clears throat> excuse me, will surely surely be fulfilled. Okay, third, third encouragement. Call upon God with earnest, honest prayer. How many of you, when those, in those times when you're walking in darkness, don't feel like praying after a while? The right answer is yes, that's me, because if you're honest, okay? And I love how right here in verses 9 through 11, Israel... And we ourselves were encouraged to pray earnestly for God to fulfill his promises during those times. Look at verses 9 and 10. Start there. It's an interesting prayer. Awake! Awake! Put on strength, O arm of the Lord! Awake! As in days of old, the generations of long ago. 
Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces? Rahab is a reference to Egypt here. Okay, not Rahab in Jericho. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? A reference to the parting of the Red Sea and Israel going over. This is crucial. See, throughout the Bible we have examples of prayers that godly people pray, like these verses right here, and they're given to us to teach us how to pray. We should pray them. Not in some kind of a rote, just purely mechanical way, but in a meaningful, heartfelt, making it your own prayer way. And so Isaiah encourages us here to humbly pray and say, God, wake up. Wake up. It feels like you're sleeping. Put strength on. It seems like you're weak. Father, aren't you the one who did these mighty works in the past? Didn't you do these things? Father, for the sake of your name, do them now. You see that prayer? Have you ever prayed that way? I would encourage you to, if you're in the time of darkness, write this prayer out on a three by five card and take it with you. And humbly pray this bold prayer. Father, wake up. Be strong. Now here's why this is so important. One reason why it's so important is because in times where you're walking in darkness, if you don't pray, well, let me just let me read you this quote from John Miller. Can you get up there on the screen? I've been reading this book by John Miller called Praying Life, and, and look at what he says. This really struck me. He says, if we don't get passionate with God in the face of disappointments, then cynicism slips in. And our hearts begin to harden. We begin a living death. You experience that? If you're going through a time of walking in darkness, and you get discouraged, you don't feel like praying, if you stop praying, if you pull back from God, cynicism will grow. Unbelief will grow. It's a very dangerous thing to pull back from God during those times. What you must do is not pull back from God during those times. What you must do is pursue God during those times. Father, wake up. Be strong. Aren't you the God who's done these mighty things in the past? Didn't you promise to meet me as I'm calling upon you? Come, help me, meet me. And the Father is just smiling upon you when you're praying that prayer. He's smiling. This is good. This is good. And your heart will stay tender before the Lord. And cynicism will not gain the upper hand. I'm almost sure there's some of you here this morning. You've been disappointed so seriously, or you've let it affect you so seriously, that your faith is almost gone. And deep down inside, you are angry at God. And I just plead with you, passionately call upon him. Passionately seek him. In your disappointment, in your difficulty, call upon him. He will meet you. He will meet you. He will meet you. So that's the third encouragement. Oh, by the way, look at the result of their prayers in verse 11. 
Verse 11, then here's what will happen when they pray according to verses 9 and 10. The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. You pray, God will work. The hourglass is coming. The promises will be fulfilled. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. That's what happens as you pray earnestly. God will answer. Fourth, overcome fear by remembering who God is. When you're in the darkness of not seeing God's promises fulfilled yet, uh, what I find is I can start to just be afraid that nothing's going to change. I can start to fear the future. I start to fear, you know, what if this never changes? I can imagine Abraham and Sarah, you know, what if we never get pregnant, you know? What, just imagine people of, of Israel, you know, what if, you know, here's Babylon, they're powerful, we're slaves, there's no way we're getting out of here. What if this is just goes on forever? What if we're just stuck here? What if nothing ever changes? Fear can come upon you during those times. That's what Israel was experiencing. Look at verses 12 through 14. God says, I... I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, the son of man who's made like grass, and you have forgotten the Lord, your maker? Whenever you fear, it's because you've forgotten God. And here Isaiah mentions two truths he wants them to remember about God. Verse 13, you've forgotten the Lord, your maker. First truth, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And you fear continually all that day because of the wrath of the oppressor, the Babylonians, when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? In verse 14, second thing to remember, he who is bowed down with suffering shall speedily be released. Speedily, in God's perfect time, speedily. He shall not die and go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be Lacking. So when you fear, remember who God is. When, whenever you're afraid of this happening, this happening, this happening, you have forgotten who God is. Just, just get that firmly planted in your mind. Every time you're fearful, you've forgotten who God is. Two things to remember about God. He's the one who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. He's created all of this. He is infinitely powerful. Don't fear the Babylonians. God can take care of the Babylonians like that. Don't fear the problems you're fearful. God can take care of them like that. And then the second thing to remember, verse 14, is that God in his perfect time will fulfill his promise to you. So rest there. I mean, I, I experienced this a little bit. It wasn't so much a time of darkness, but just when we were first ready to plant the Garden City Church and we were you know, encouraging everybody to pray about going, and I had a couple, I've got to confess, a couple of almost of sleepless times at night where I was thinking, what if everybody is called to go? You know God, you know, I, I knew the Lord called us to just encourage, but Lord, what, I mean, and you know what helped me? Um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, which is a verse I know many of you hold to nearly and dearly. I, I just preached this verse to myself. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for well-being and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, that didn't mean to me that he wouldn't call you all to go. I didn't, I don't know, but what it meant to me was that things are not random, things are not chaotic. God has a plan for me, and it's good. It's a good plan. His plans, I, don't, I didn't know what it was. I still don't know all of what his plan is. I mean, we don't, right? But I know that it's good. And preaching Jeremiah 29, 11, reminding myself that God is a God who has a plan that's good for me. Peace came. 
And when the fear was there, I'd forgotten that. So I just want to encourage you, overcome fear by remembering who God is. Okay, one last encouragement. Wake up to how God's forgiveness guarantees the promise. When we are longing for God to work in a way that he's promised and we're not seeing it happen yet, you can easily start to think it's because of your sinfulness. Right? It's easy to go there. Now, I want to try to explain this very carefully. And if I don't explain it carefully enough, we may have a chance to raise some questions so you can help me clear it up. Because there's, there's, two, there's, two, ways of, there's two ways this could, could work its way out. One is, if you are involved in willful Knowing sin. Okay? There's an area of sin you know God has said, don't, don't do that, and you, I'm, I'm doing it anyway. If you're involved in willful knowing sin, then that very well could be why God is withholding his promise from you. Okay? Y- y'all got that, right? So if, you, but if you're involved in willful knowing sin, okay, now, you might say, well, Do any of us become perfect this side of heaven? The answer is no. This side of heaven, we're never free from sin, but there's a massive difference between willful knowing sin on the one hand and, Father, forgive me, help me, I'm sorry, change me, I hate that. And then, I'm stumbling, God, help me, wash me clean, I'm back at the cross. That's a whole different kind of sinning than this kind of sinning, right? Do you got that? Here it's high-handed, it's knowing, it's willful, you don't really give a rip. Here it's you're broken, you're fighting it, and you're, you're dealing with it. And we're talking about, if you're in this place where it's known willful sin, repent of your sin. This is way more serious than whether that little promise is going to get fulfilled or not. Eternity is at stake in that situation. Because you've got to ask yourself the question, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? If he says, here's how I want you to live, and you just say, uh, no, you trust him? I don't think you do. Or I don't think you can know you do until you're back on your face before the cross saying, I'm sorry, help me. Okay? You may want to raise some questions about that, but if that's the place where you're at, repent. Jesus, come to him as you are. He will forgive you. He will change you. He will strengthen you. He will satisfy you. He will meet you. Come back to him. Repent. And he will. And I'm talking about people over here where, yes, I mean, I've sinned this morning, right? We all have, right? This side of heaven, we're not free from sin. But we fight. We repent. We confess. We're growing in righteousness, but we're never completely free from sin until glory, right? That's our theology, right? So even when you're in that place, though, and the promises aren't being fulfilled, you can start to think it's because I'm a sinner that God's not fulfilling his promise to me. And that's the kind of person that Isaiah wants to address. Well, that's where Israel was at, and that's what he wants to help her understand in verses, what are the verses? 17 through 23, this last section here. And look at what he says. Start in verse 17. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Speaking to Israel. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath. Israel has been under God's wrath, right, because of her idolatry and her sin, who've drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. So verses 17 through 20, he describes how Israel has been under God's wrath. But notice how 
what he says in verse 21 and following. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine, because you've, you've been drinking the cup of God's wrath. Thus says the Lord your God, your God who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. The bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. And I will put it into the hand of your tormentors, the Babylonians. So yes, Israel had been under God's wrath. But here God says he's removed the cup of wrath from Israel. How can God do that? Has Israel stopped sinning? Is Israel now perfect? No. How can God remove his wrath from Israel? It's because of what, what we'll read in Isaiah chapter 53, two chapters from now. The coming of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ on the cross paid the guilt of sin. For those in the Old Testament, retroactively, the moment that they bent the knee before Yahweh, trusted God's mercy, they were forgiven for their sins because of what Jesus would do. And for us, as we look back now to Jesus, right? The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, the moment you receive him into your life as your Savior, as your Lord, as your heart-satisfying treasure, you're completely forgiven for all your sins, past, present, and future. You'll never taste a drop of God's wrath. And so if you're in this place where you're trusting Jesus, you're not perfect, you're confessing, you're fighting, you're walking, you're growing in righteousness, if you're in that place, don't ever think that the reason God hasn't fulfilled his promise is because of sin in you. Because you're trusting him. All your sins have been forgiven. The reason he hasn't fulfilled his promise yet is because of, in his perfect timing, and his sovereignty, he's going to be doing something even better for you than bringing this trial right now. It's like what Ryan shared earlier, right? You know God loves you at this time because this is, none of this is in vain. He's already brought you precious gifts through this that you wouldn't have had otherwise. And so you're saying thank you. I, just, I love that. Isn't that powerful? Okay, that's what we've got to learn. So if we will come before the Lord, trust Him, we're completely forgiven. We don't become perfect, but we're changed and we're growing in righteousness. And because that's our hard attitude of trust in Jesus Christ, we can know, we can absolutely know for sure that the reason the promises withheld is not because of our sinfulness. In fact, we can know, let's make it, flip it around, because of the forgiveness of your sins, that guarantees the fulfillment of the promise. Because God has forgiven your sins through Christ, you can be guaranteed that the promise is going to be fulfilled. So here's what this means. Some of you are walking in darkness right now. There's things you've been praying for or longing for, hoping in, Things that God has promised to do. You haven't seen it happen yet. Okay? And you can get disillusioned. You can get discouraged. And what God wants to do is encourage you, trust me. Trust me. The light will come. You're walking in darkness now. The light will come. The promise will be fulfilled. Think about Abraham and Sarah, the length of time. Think about Joseph in the dungeon. Think about Israel and Babylon. Okay? In any of those cases, did God not fulfill his promise? No, in every single case, God fulfilled his promise. First, First Kings 8.56, I think it is, says there's not one of his good promises that God hasn't fulfilled. Every promise in this book, he has always fulfilled. You won't be the first one for whom he doesn't fulfill a promise. Every single one he will fulfill. Trust him. Trust him. And in the meantime, he's not absent from you. He's doing good for you. Okay, now back to the story about this pastor 
who had to take his wife into the psychiatric hospital. Two weeks ago, Jan and I saw them. Them. She was at the pastor's conference with him. Radiant. (laughs) Worshiping the Lord. Beautiful. Absolutely transformed. Night and day, God worked. He had to walk in darkness. This pastor was walking in darkness for a while, saying, God, come, help. What are you doing? I don't understand this. This isn't what I was longing for. This is not what I've been praying for. And God totally transformed her. The same will be true for you. He will fulfill every promise he's made. He will meet you. And he will strengthen you in the meantime. He will comfort you in the meantime. He will give you wisdom in the meantime. He will give you everything you need in the meantime. Just come to him, call upon him, ask him to help you, and he will. That's what I want us to do right now. Let's go ahead and stand. And some of you who are in a, in a dark place, just come on up. I want you to stand here. We want to pray over you. Okay? And this is something that every follower of Jesus goes through from time to time. It's just part of the, the Christian life. We want to be able to pray for you and lift you up before the Lord. So come on up. Just stand right up here. We'll have other people gather around you and pray for you. So don't be bashful. It should be just a whole bunch of you. Any of you in darkness right now? You know what I mean? This, walking in darkness is not walking in sin in this passage. Walking in darkness here means that you're, there's something you're longing to see God do and you haven't seen him do it yet. And you're, you want some prayer for that. So come on up. Come on. Come on. Don't be bashful. This is, just, this is all of us, right? We're family. Yeah, good. Right on. And then let's have other, come on up, the rest of you, and let's just gather around. I'd like to have every person here having some hands laid on them to pray. for. We want to ask God to work supernaturally in each person here right now. So come on, if you either want to be prayed for, or if you want to pray, come on up. Okay, we need more prayers. You are all delegated officially as prayers this morning, in case you're wondering. Okay, you are now prayers. Good. Does anybody who's up here who wants to get prayer doesn't have somebody, you aren't feeling somebody's hand. Anybody, anybody not have somebody? Okay, good. Now just now pray with me. Let's ask God to work now. Father, we love these brothers and sisters that are here. We all have times like this. It, it's, it's part of your plan for us to, to help us, to meet us, to humble us, to purify us, to strengthen us, to, to bless us even more. So, Lord, we, we love them. And more importantly, you love them. You love them. And I pray, first of all, that, that through the historical reality of the cross, they would be even more convinced right now that you do love them. Because you've demonstrated your love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. So, Lord, right now, would you use the, the historical fact of the cross to strengthen their confidence that you do love them you do love them right now by the work of your spirit or let them just be strong in knowing your love for them and lord we pray that you would bring comfort through that we praise you jesus that that you're not a high priest who cannot sympathize with us but you've been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin so you, you are sympathizing with each one who's here getting prayer right now. You're with them. You're saying, I understand. I know. I know. It's not easy. 
I care about you. So Lord, comfort them with that. And Lord, I pray that as, as we're crying out to you saying, we believe, help our unbelief, would you help their unbelief right now? Would you bring powerful, faith-strengthening work of your Spirit that they would know that you will be faithful, that they could trust that you're going to work in your perfect timing, that it's an hourglass, the promise will be fulfilled, it's coming. So God, bring your power upon them right now. So we surrender to you, Lord, this morning. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. You are infinitely wiser than we are. You care about us even more deeply than we care. You are completely good. We can trust everything you do. We know that the day is coming when we will look back and thank you for every turn of the road, every seeming delay, every difficulty, struggle, and trial. The day is coming when we will turn around and thank you for everyone because we will see the great good that you've brought in yourself to us through those. So strengthen us now. In the meantime, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.